live stream. <laughs> Good to have everybody here today. Uh, if you're watching my live stream today, this is what I need from you. I, I need for you to say uh, something good. Yeah. What, what color should I dye my hair? Actually, where can I find hair? And, and then, no, can you? Where are you watching from this morning? Just type it in there. I'm watching from so-and-so. I'm always amazed to find out that people are watching from all over the world or in the parking lot, actually. We, we gave away, whoever's watching from the farthest away, we're going to give away the first copy of the book. And it was, what, the Philippines or something, babe? Or United Kingdom, the Philippines, about the same. And, and I just think soccer, you know. And then uh, I said, the closest, who's watching from the closest? The guy literally said, I had a sneezing fit, and you just can't sneeze in public anymore without people saying COVID and looking at you funny. She said, I'm in the parking lot of the church right now. So those are two winners, United Kingdom and the parking lot. Does that count if they're on the grounds? Who said, yeah, like, you know these things? Mary's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll fight you over it. All right. So today we start a four-week series, but just before we do, can I say thank you so much to Pastor Carl, Pastor Jason, and Pastor Josh for their ministry these last three weeks. It has really been good for me to sit in church with my wife, to, to listen to great messages. Uh, I was able to finish the book that I was writing, or what's called The Ugly First Draft. So The Ugly First Draft is done. It's off to be reviewed for substantive uh, research and then back to the editor so they make me sound smarter than I am. How many of you guys need people like that in your life too? I'm grateful for editors, not, not English teachers where they mark it all out red and say you're dumb and then put like minuses after letters, but people that make you look smarter. I like that. That makes me feel good. So the four-week series today, along with Next Gen, everybody on, from here all the way down to the nursery is talking about similar things, same topics, similar scriptures. And we're going to talk about this, the family business. Or if, if you're from Italy, the family business. <laughs> we're going to talk about the family business because I think there's a lot of different ways to look at the church. And, and he said the family business, like his son preached last week, is this a family business? Not, this, not that family. When, when, when Jesus tells us about the kingdom, Jesus tells about what heaven is like, how things work, he uses different analogies. He uses the word kingdom. Obviously, people in Bible times were familiar with king. Israel especially knew about king. So kingdom, the kingdom of God, was obvious. And, but, but how many of you guys know that we've never had a king? And the last time we had, we kind of kicked his butt, said, go to the other side, you're staying on your side of the lake, and you watch live stream from there. You know what I mean? It was a revolutionary war. So we don't have a sweet taste in our souls or in our memories for kings. They're, they're tyrants. They're despots, according to the Declaration of Independence, right? So what he did is he found something I think just about everybody could relate to, and he calls it a family. Look at this. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. It's one of the, the high festivals of Israel. It's very, very important. Commemorates the time that Israel came out of Egypt and the unleavened bread and all that stuff. So when he was 12 years old, this is how old Jesus is, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. Now, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. How many of you guys know that if you have a 12-year-old, you can't take your eyes off them? And they can't have a cell phone, and everybody said amen, right? The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a whole day. Then they stopped, they camped, they get the fires of cooking, and they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Can you imagine, Mary? You've seen Jesus, you've seen... Oh, she goes, oh, Kevin, right that moment. Maybe she my heaven, whatever it was, right? They went back to Jerusalem to look for him after three days. So they, I mean, I just know, if this is your kid, you search until you're exhausted. 
And then you fall down somewhere for three or four hours, and you get up and you start looking. You fall down for three or four hours, and you get up and you start looking. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. The word astonished in the original doesn't, doesn't translate well into astonishment. It means, like, if you're sitting there and all of a sudden I walk up and I just kick you really hard, I, walk, I slap you in the back head, you're suddenly hit with a, a water balloon, that's, that's what astonishment, like to be struck with, with something, right? His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, I mean, it's like when the mom always gets the dad involved. Your father, your poor father, and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, here's Jesus' response. And I love it because it's Jesus, he's all God, he's all man, but he's 12 years old. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? But they didn't understand. They wanted to kill him. But they were so relieved to have found him that they couldn't bring themselves to beat him, so they just said, never let that happen again, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Like we all would. Then they went down to Nazareth with them, and and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary's got this this gift of pondering, where something amazing happens. She goes, I don't know what that means. But I'm going to think about it some more. When the angel, Gabriel, appears to her and says, you're going to be pregnant and have a child, she's like, a point of order, a virgin. He goes, yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, and he explains it all. And she goes, oh, okay. So, and she ponders all these things in her heart. She has this gift of pondering. So Joseph, he disappears after this. We don't see him anymore on the biblical record. But Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. So Pastor Josh said something last week that I think is wonderful. We're going to visit it really today and probably the next couple of, of weeks uh, and it's this, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. This comes out of a teaching from a good friend of this house, Pastor Adam Cook. Adam was raised here as a boy, pastors a great church in Idaho now. And, and he taught us uh, probably five years ago, he said that when one of my children misbehave, I don't correct their behavior, I adjust their identity. By correcting the behavior, hey, you hit your sister, don't hit your sister, we protect women. If I ever see you hitting your sister again, I'll set a good example by hitting you too. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? You know what I mean? Instead, he says, listen, you are a gentle man. You are a lover of all mankind. You are a part of this family. You are a protector to your sister. You are. He said, because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Does that make sense? So that's where that comes from. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And Jesus says, here's this whole new world. I, know, I want you guys to know who you are. You are full shareholders in the family business of God. And I'll prove this to you in Scripture in Romans chapter 8 in a little bit. But knowing this, that, that I am responsible and I have these great privileges and I have this great responsibility and I have this awe-inspiring task in front of me to do what he would do, I'm a part of the family business. And so today we're going to start with what that means to be a part of the family with this thought about adoption. And, and again, I, I, I want us to go back in time because when we say adoption today, I think a lot of us think of, of certainly the relationship of someone who doesn't have family to care for them or is removed from that family and so forth, and that, that's all germane to our conversation. But I think most of the time we think about the paperwork. I, I, I think when we think about adoption, we think about expense and lawyers and courts and rights and severance of those rights and all that kind of stuff. When, when Jesus uses the word adoption, and when Paul and Peter, as we'll talk about in a little while, use the word adoption, they're talking about like you're walking down the street and there's a five-year-old sitting on the edge of the street and he's hungry and she's exhausted and they haven't had food and they're wearing rags. And you can tell that they're all alone on the face of the planet, that if they searched the entire earth, 25,000 miles in every direction from where they were, they wouldn't find a single person on the planet that would take them as being responsible for them as a mother and father. When, when they use the word orphan... You, you, 
There were orphanages in this day, and there, there were places, you know, as good as the, those who ran them as they are today, right? But you have to remember that the feeling, the sense of, of being utterly vulnerable to anyone who's stronger than you, and just about everyone is. Does this make sense? The fear of it. And so it starts with, with adoption, with the thought of being an orphan. Now, um, Paul's talking to his son of the faith, Timothy, and he's warning him. There's going to be a change in society, a change in mankind. And towards the end of this, when, when things are just about done, this is the condition of the world. This is how it will be. Now, we're going to read it in just a moment, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what you're going to see is we live in those days. Let me, let me say it again. He said one of these days it's going to get so bad that children will actually be disobedient towards their parents. And people went, oh, no, it'll never get that bad. Has it gotten that bad? You laugh. But, but yes, right? I mean, we, never mind. I, that's a parenting thing. We'll save it for later. So we're going we're gonna to read this, but I'm going to read it to you as if, as if I were an orphan and this is my orphanage because that's where we are. We have to understand we begin the journey in need of a father. If you don't start there, if you need a coach, if you need a teacher, if you need a healer, if you need a miracle worker, if you need someone to cheer you on, if you need someone to rescue you when the bullets are flying off the edge of the foxhole and you cry out to whoever's out there with your lucky rabbit's foot and your four-leaf clover and, and your little Buddha and your, oh, dear, whoever you are, please rescue me. Because, like, if that's where you start, if you are not an orphan, you cannot appreciate the depth of your adoption. And so this is the orphanage that we all live in today. It says, Mark this. I'll just tell you, hey, my name's Jim. When I was five years old, I lived in an orphanage, and it was terrible. People there loved themselves to the place where there was no room in their hearts for anything but selfishness. If there was money involved, they'd steal it from you. They'd beat you for it. They'd lie to you. The more boastful and arrogant and bombastic you were, kind of the greater leader you became. They were proud. They abused me. If there was any parental authority in the room, they made sure to go out of their way to make sure they let everybody know that they didn't respect it. They were fed day after day after day, and they just said, is this all I get? Is this all I get? There was zero holiness in the room. There was no love. If you did anything wrong, it was held against you. You were manipulated by your past for the rest of your life. And if they couldn't find something, they just lie about it. They were slanderous. Nobody there knew how to control themselves. Whatever they felt like doing, they did. Whether it was brutal, whether it was evil, they were treacherous. They were rash. If you just stepped on an eggshell, they'd turn and just tear your face off and call you names and beat you into unconsciousness, steal your food. They were conceited. All they loved was the things that made them happy. They didn't consider what God wanted in anybody's life, although they were religious but their religion didn't have the power to change them. How many of you guys know that if I stood there and said, hi, my name's Jim, and when I was five years old, I lived there, you would assume I might have an issue or two to deal with from here. Okay. But I didn't just read the conditions of a five-year-old in an orphanage. I talked about the conditions of the world we live in. Mark this. There'll be terrible times in the last days. People are going to be lovers of themselves. Are we there? Okay. Um, lovers of money. Well, that one's coming later, but not yet. Boastful, proud, abusive. Are we here? right? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Are we here? If you say no, it's called Facebook. Get on it and look, and you will see that we are here. And if you don't want to do that, then go on Twitter. It's worse, right? Without self-control. No, no, I control everything I say, right? Brutal. Not lovers of good, treacherous. I mean, this is us. This is now. Is this true? We're here. So in the last days, hey, congratulations, we're living in the last, last days before what? The last days before Jesus says that's enough. 
How many of you guys know we've gone beyond the, the point where we sing, Jesus, take the wheel? It's like, Jesus, pull over the car and start beating your kids with a flip-flop. <laughs> I love memes. I got that off a meme. <laughs> uh, this is the orphanage we grew up. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, and I said, when someone is taken from a home or they're found to be uh, either a child and they're left alone, what do they go through? And this is what she told me. She said, the number one thing is fear. But along with that comes worry, hoarding, Anger, manipulation, stealing, dishonesty, rebellion towards authority, insecurity. And really this is the root of it is because if I'm out of control, then I am in danger. Does that make sense? So if, if I'm not in control, so I'll, I'll, fear actually has been my servant because that spidey sense, like, listen, here comes somebody towards me. Hey, that guy looks like, it reminds me of someone who hurt me or disappointed me or betrayed me. Therefore, I'm going to treat this guy with fear, thereby defending myself. How many of you guys know the spidey sense tingles when something smells like, feels like, tastes like, looks like something that harmed us? In the past, we, oh, here comes the walls, right? We, we go to, you know, uh, code red, and then the, the shields go out and the Klingons run, right? So when we lived as orphans, in other words, when we didn't have God in our life, when we weren't adopted, when we weren't his, when we were still living in this world and the conditions of the world caused us to live this way, we had to live this way. I'm, I'm not justifying this behavior. I'm saying it's normal. Matter of fact, it's universal. Right, let's just do this for giggles. Can we do something real quick? It'll be real quick. Can we do something real quick? Because the first time nobody said anything. It's like, I, uh, I'm not going to say yes. I got, I got to be at Mega in 20 minutes. Yeah. Everybody in Great Britain's like, Blimey, what's mega? You know, sounds good. I like to go there. No. But any, anybody in the last seven days, has anybody here, we're in church, it's Sunday morning, right? Has anybody here dealt with any of these things, the big 10 on the board? If you have, raise your hand. Okay. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, let me ask you why. Were, were you afraid that people might judge you for it? Because, you know, you kind of have that thing, like if somebody judges me, so you kind of stresses you out, it's something called worry. And, and right now, as I pointed out, you're like, hey, I didn't raise my hand, but don't make a big deal. Matter of you're kind of ticking me off about this. Hmm, that looks familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm not the only person who feels this way. I saw several people that didn't raise their hand. And after service, I'm getting together with them, and we're going to talk about how loud the music is. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. Well, that's manipulation. And really what we're doing is, guys, let's just be honest. If we don't feel like we're in control, then we feel like we are in danger. And so we give our lives to Jesus and we are adopted into the family of God. And from there, we have to learn a whole new way to live. Because the way we used to live is no longer the way we are to live. And aren't you glad we serve a patient God who's a wonderful father that's going to teach us how to walk this way? Somebody say amen. Now that we have a father, we have to learn how not to live like this. And so that journey begins with just understanding how much God loves you. And I know this is probably the most often quoted, I'm sorry, the second most quoted verse in the Bible is God so loves the world. The first one is, wives submit to your husbands, which is just hilarious. But it's, I didn't do the study. I'm just saying it's funny to me. You know, what is Christianity about? Getting women to obey. Like, oh, boy, did we miss that one. Even the meaning of the scripture, let alone the twisted scripture. I'm not going to the rock group from the 70s, twisted scripture. No. I'm tired. Can you tell? I haven't slept well the last couple of nights. I want you to know this. It begins with understanding that when God looked at forever and saw that some of us were not going to be there, he decided to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He sent his son Jesus so that whoever would believe in him. Isn't that an interesting standard of reward? Like, if you do this, then I will do that. If you will trust me, believe, I will rescue you. Yeah, but what do I have to do to that? 
If you'll trust me that I am enough, that I love enough, that I've done enough, then forever, you and me, I did not send my son to condemn the world. I sent my son to rescue the world. Does this make sense? It's called grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says this, the spirit you receive, so when we receive that love, we come into this adoptive covenant with God. We're his now. He's ours now. The spirit you received at that moment doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. What made us slaves and living in fear was the performance. So was I good enough? Am I good enough? I, I, this, this nightmare that I'm going to be standing in line waiting to be judged by God. And he's on his throne. I'm watching people go. Some are screaming, going that way. Some are like dancing and going that way. Screaming, screaming, dancing, dancing. And I'm getting closer and closer. And I realize the person in front of me is Adolf Hitler. I'm feeling pretty good. Like compared to Adolf, Right? I mean, I mean, you ever hear the story about the two bootleggers? Like, you know, one of them, there was a car accident, rolled over, the one died, and, and the brother was a terrible, despicable man, went to the local pastor and said, would you bury my brother? And he said, absolutely, I'd be happy to do the funeral for your brother. He said, but one thing, my mom doesn't know what we do for a living. And so I, I you know, could you, could you say in front of my mom that he was a saint? He said, no way. So the guy went from church to church and pastor to pastor, finally offered $1,000 to any pastor that would say that his dead bootlegging brother was, was, a, was a, a saint. And so the pastor of the largest church in the county said, I'll do it. Took the $1,000, cashed it, gave it to the poor. And the day of the funeral, they sang the hymns. He did the liturgy. He got up to speak. And he said, you know, we all know that this man was a whoremonger. He was a drunkard. He was brutal. There's probably not many people in the county that didn't know and fear him. But compared to his brother... (laughs) He was a saint. Right? But, so I feel pretty good if Adolf's in front of me. But what if I look up there and it's this little Romanian nun named Teresa? How many guys know it's like, I, I like to change places and find Adolf in line. So what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, if we compare ourselves to ourselves, we're unwise. It, it isn't about being good. It's about being innocent. Our innocence doesn't come from being good. Our innocence comes from mercy. Please hear me. The love of God in your life, please hear me. There are no good people in heaven because good doesn't get you to heaven. People aren't bad. Like, you know, like there's good people in heaven and bad people in hell. No, there's no good people in heaven. There's forgiven people in heaven. And those that choose not to accept this love and this adoption and this covenant, there's nothing left to be done but for them to continue the path that they're on and the judgment they already live. I, I hope you're hearing this today. So he says it, not, it doesn't make you a slave again to fear, but he gives us a spirit of adoption. And by that, we cry out Papa or Abba, right? The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, here we go, family business. If we're children, then what belongs to him belongs to us. How many of you guys hope to someday have the faith of your children? that believe that everything that belongs to you is theirs. Anybody have grown sons? Where are my tools? The faith of a child. Where do my tools go? I, you know, everything that belongs to my father belongs to me. My son, my, both my sons know the code to the garage, and that's why I can't find anything. So there you go, right? So we're heirs of God. What belongs to our father belongs to us, and we're co-heirs with Jesus. And I love this symbolism because everything that Jesus had, we have too. Everything he had access to, we have access to. Everything he could do, we could do. Matter of fact, Jesus says, not only will you do these things, come on, he's going to say, you're going to also do greater things than these. So, yeah, we're co-heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. Now, I, I want to show you an illustration. And piano guy, join me. We're going to land the plane a little bit early today. But isn't that 
If you Google search fat baby cheeks, that is the picture that comes up. He's adorable. Now, let me ask you this question. It's very important. Please hear me. What does that child have to do to be adopted? A prospective couple walks in, a mother and a father looking to adopt the child. What can he do to earn that adoption? Does he negotiate? Listen, um, I know I'm little now, but with a little bit of food, you know, a few hundred diapers a day. When I'm six or seven, I could push a lawnmower for you. When, I, when I'm 10 or 12, I could, I could push a plow for you. When I'm 22, man, I promise, like, everything I have, everything, I just please just take me home. Is, does that child do that? The cost of adoption is never on the one being adopted. The cost of adoption is on the one who says, I have enough love for me and enough love for you. Would you like to come home with me? Would you like to be my son? Would you like to be my daughter? And here it is, guys. Letting God do the work of salvation, letting God do the work of adoption, that is the work that we are asked to do. Boy, I just feel this today. Letting God love you is the job you have. Letting God meet your needs is the job you have. Letting God teach you how to trust him, that is the work. He said, I don't know if that's true or not. Let's ask Jesus what he thinks. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then they asked him, what must me do to do the works God requires? Hey, can I just reverse that? Your works are do do. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. To believe in the one he sent to love you, to believe in the one he sent to rescue you, to believe in the one that he sent to forgive you, to believe in the one he sent to provide for you, to believe him. But I believed him, but then this new mountain came. Well, then we we go through the process, right, of our God becoming larger than our mountains. That's the work, the work that God requires not our works that are do-do, but the work that we're supposed to do is believing in Jesus. No matter what the question, no matter what the mountain, no matter what the pain, when we believe, that is the work we're to do. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. The, the grace and the faith are God's gifts to you, not by works that no one can boast. And it seems easy enough. The problem is we've been orphans for so long that like the Galatians, we want to help God. I want to be a good Christian, so would you circumcise me so I can be a good Jew and I'll obey the Sabbath and I'll, and because I, in order to be a good Christian, I have to be a good Jew, right? And, and Paul's like, oh, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? You had this grace, you had this salvation, you had this faith, this sincere, beautiful child, like I trust you, daddy, faith. And now you're trying to earn something that was a gift. It's like the Ephesians. They want to they earn it too. That's why he has to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's not, it's not by works. It's by grace you're saved through faith, not by works. So nobody can boast. This is why the prodigal son, after he, he's gone out and partied and squandered everything, he comes back raggedy and diseased and emaciated and naked, and he, he doesn't say, take me back, daddy. He says, make me a slave. Treat me like, I, like you hired me. I'll, I'll live in the barn. I'll work harder than everybody else. I just... I just want to come home, and could, would you let me just be? But I'll, I promise, I'll, I, I, I know I did wrong. I don't deserve to be called. And the father says, now shut your pie hole, boy. I need a robe to cover the nakedness. I need a ring to give him back his identity. I need sandals to separate him from the world that he gave himself to. We want to feel bad so we can live good. I'm not sure you've been around long enough in the church, but 
there was a day where the pastor's job was to make you feel so guilty that you had enough pain to not sin too bad until Wednesday. And then Wednesday was supposed to teach you what scum you were so that you would live, feel so bad. And that pain, oh, I'm going to have the fear, and the, oh, the market, get my head cut off, and the 666, and, the, oh, and then Sunday, whoo, made it. I love you, God. You're God of grace. And then the guy would get up and go, hi, the Lord. Ah. We want laws to obey that give us security in our own efforts or self-righteous. Saul of Tarsus, we're going to follow him for the next three weeks and see how God develops. He wasn't like a big fat panda. He was like the big fat panda. He was not a mean, judgmental hypocrite. He was like the mean, judgmental hypocrite. And we're going to close today with simply this. All right? Are you working from God's love or are you working for it? Are you working from the covenant of adoption? Are you still trying to earn it? I know people that, that love people at such a high level that they try to find the people that nobody else would ever look for. And they adopted them and they made them their sons and daughters. And, and some are in maximum security prison because of the murder and the rape and the incest of the other children. And and they'll, they'll never see, they'll never breathe another free breath as long as they live. They're in Huntsville, they're in Texas. I know others that are doing very, very well. It was the same father, it was the same mother, it was the same contract, it was the same covenant. What was different was some children let their father love them and they began to feel safe and they began to walk as someone who was protected, provided for, and others were treacherous, rash, conceited. Not because one was better than the other, but because one let God be God. And one said, I can't let you be God. I can't even trust you to save me. I can't trust you to forgive me. I can't. If you're here today and you're not right with God, and I want to say this gently, but I want to say it forcefully enough that it kind of punches your little. Is that okay? Do you have permission to punch your little? If you're here today and you're not right with God, it's not God's fault. Everything God can do all the paperwork signed. All the love is there. The table is ready. The home is prepared. The, the lessons will begin. The love to substantiate the rest of your days for all eternity is on account with your name written on that as the one person that needs to sign. And when you sign that, you begin a journey. And if you don't sign that, there's nothing that I can do for you. There's nothing that a psychologist can do for you. There's nothing that a counselor can do for you. There's nothing that medicine can do for you. A lawyer, money, fame, power, you know, guys, gals. It, this world will say, I'm the answer, I'm the answer, I'm the answer. But how many of you guys have been there long enough that when you get the answer, you find out I still have questions and nothing changed? Father, I, I, just, I just close this in prayer today. That you would be so kind that you would send your son to die in our place so we could live with you. That it's by your grace and by the faith you give us that we are saved. That there's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That, that we are, that we have the spirit of God inside of us that cries out, Abba, our Papa, our Daddy God. That's the way that you want to be seen. That's, that's what your spirit leads us to do. Not, not the fear of loss and the fear of judgment. And the fear, no, now, now it's the expectation of good things. That's called hope. The expectation of you moving specifically according to our needs. That's called faith. The expectation that no matter what happens, you'll never leave us or forsake us. That's called love. Faith, hope, and love are not things. They're, they're what comes out of a person. It's what we receive from you. 
John was known as the disciple that Jesus loved, not because Jesus loved John more than Peter. John was the disciple that Jesus loved because John was the disciple that simply let Jesus love him. Will you be the disciple that Jesus loves? It's not up to Jesus. The same love he had for John, he has for you. The same love he had for John, he has for you. Will you be the disciple whom Jesus loves? Will you let him? Father, right here, right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. Today we make a decision. Today we make a decision to stop thinking like orphans that don't have a daddy. Today we make a decision to say yes to your proposal of a covenant relationship that will last for all eternity. Today we begin the hard work of trusting the one that you sent. Faith is not what we do to get what we want from God. Faith is that which God gives us that fills in blanks. When there's just blanks, still questions unanswered. It isn't do you know enough, but it's do you know him? That's the question. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I need this. And I shed a tear or two. God's speaking to me about this. And my answer to God is yes. If that's you, I want you to take your hand. Not before me, my eyes will be closed. But before God, I want you to raise that hand as if you were were reaching out to grab a hold of his. Do that right now, will you? God, I take a hold of that hand. Will you be my son? Will you be my daughter? Can you imagine the joy in the father's eyes if that little baby reached up as if I already know you, even though I've never met you, reached out and accepted the love of the father, didn't turn away, didn't say no, didn't, didn't spit the food back out, but just, just allowed himself to be loved. Can you imagine the joy of the father when a son says yes to his love? And, and you think that's cool. Can you imagine the joy of a father if a daughter said yes and he knows that when she says yes, that means we're going to dance on your wedding day and I'm going to walk you down the aisle and, and I'm going to be here for you. And there's going to be long talks and there's going to be a relationship that begins today, but it's never going to end. Can you imagine the joy on an adoptive parent's face when they say, I love you, and somehow that child is able to say in his own way, in her own way, I love you too. God, today we raise our hands. We love you too. They would be known as the disciples whom Jesus loved. We love you too. So that all started. Walk with us now from this room into our cars, back into that orphanage, but not as orphans. Walk with us back into our world and teach us how to obey, teach us how to love, teach us how to walk, teach us how to ride a bike, teach us how to dance, teach us how to tie a tie. When we know who we are, then God will know what to do. Man, I wish there weren't any restrictions. I'd throw the biggest altar call I've ever had. (laughs) I'd be the first one at it. Amen. Amen. You guys okay? All right. That made me cry, and I'm kind of (laughs) hard-hearted. I miss my dad. Glad I got a heavenly father. Stand your feet, would you? Gather your things, including your hankies and your pets. And uh, those who serve us well are going to help us get out of the room. Please don't go until you're dismissed. They'll help you get out in an orderly way.
And let's, let's go let God love us. Amen? Amen? All right. You're dismissed. They'll, they'll dismiss you.